Howdy, y'all, and welcome to another episode of the Texas Tolkien Talk podcast. Folks, if you like Tolkien, you've come to the right watering hole. I'm Chad Bornholt, Chad in Texas, and co-hosting with me today is my friend Chad High, or if you like, also Chad in Texas. Thank you, Chad. Well, y'all are in for a treat today because we have a very interesting topic lined up for you to listen and ponder over as our panel of guests discuss and tackle it right here on the Texas Tolkien Talk podcast. And if you want to get on the podcast and be a member of one of our distinguished panels in the near future, our elf friends, as we call them, stay tuned after the discussion and learn how you can be on the podcast. If this is the first time you're tuning in, well, howdy. Here at the Texas Tolkien Talk podcast, we bring in guests from all over the world to talk about the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. This is a podcast where you can take the lead. Any Tolkien topic is fair game. Chad and I moderate a panel of four to five guests who are enthusiastic about Tolkien and his legendarium and have a topic that they not only want to pose to their fellow panelists, but also to you listeners at home. We are so glad that you are tuning in and joining us today. We think it's going to be a really fun and thoughtful discussion. So kick off your shoes and stay a while, and we'll do our best to keep you entertained, or at least from falling asleep for the next half hour or so. Well, it's the job that's never started as takes longest to finish. Yeah, I think we've talked enough. Now let's go ahead and let our Elendili, that is our elf friends, introduce themselves. Let's begin, y'all. Hi, I'm Vita, and I live in Houston, Texas. When it came with Lord of the Rings, I grew up as a bookworm, and I lived and breathed books. I've always been fascinated with mythology as well. Lord of the Rings really became a major factor in my life through Joseph Campbell's book, Power of Myth, where he just really explored just how mythology has penetrated throughout our lives. And then really, when we look through human history, there's always some form of heroic story that's always been told. And as a geek, as a bookworm, as a nerd, and strictly as a gamer, you can really see the influence that Lord of the Rings has, even in the modern day world. So for me, it's something that is, I think, integral to just part of our lives. It's an escape from the world. It's the sense of it helps us rediscover who we are, the human spirit, the desire to go beyond just simply existing, go beyond simply just living life. And I think we really see that in his work. And it helps for me in the sense that reading Lord of the Rings is just a reminder at the end of the day that the basic simplicity of life, of who we are, the connections that we have with family, with friends. And there's just a lot more to life than simply existing. My name is Jen. I'm from Western Montana, but kind of coincidentally, I'm originally from Texas. I was first introduced to Tolkien by my mother when I was eight, and she read me The Hobbit for the first time. I fell in love with it. When I was 10, she introduced me to The Lord of the Rings. I also fell in love with that story and went on to reread it obsessively, check it out from the library. For many years, I loved to listen to the 1979 NPR Mind's Eye radio dramatization. Eventually, when I went to college, I wrote my senior thesis on The Lord of the Rings, but I wasn't really hooked on Tolkien until I read The Silmarillion for the first time. Relatively recently, um, with the Council of Westmarch, the Montana smile of, of the Tolkien Society, and that book pretty much changed my life as a reader and kickstarted my obsession with all things Tolkien. In 2018, I joined the Tolkien Society in the UK, and that's how I got here where I am today. My name is Froda Vinja. I'm from uh, Trondheim in central Norway. 
me and some friends, we were reading, uh, you know, Vonnegut and Joseph Conrad and stuff, and we were being kind of snobbish about it. A different friend of mine, he suggested I'd read The Lord of the Rings. I was 15, and I was like, come on, really? So then I read it, and uh, I've been reading it ever since for 30 years. You know, it just felt, I felt like there was some truth in there. You know, I don't mean literal truth, but a feeling of real myth. You know, that the stories and the legends uh, from my part of the world, the northwest of Europe, just came through somehow in his writings. So I was completely fascinated and, uh, yeah, been reading ever since and collecting. On today's episode of the Texas Talking Talk podcast, we have Vita Clark, who's going to take us through a topic that she likes to call talking about the future, the importance of talking for future generations. What do you have for us, Vita? Hi, thank you so much. So we live in a digital world where we're kind of connected in every form of way by whether our smartphones. We have this heavy presence on social media. Everyone's on Facebook. Everybody's on Instagram. There's TikTok now. Snapchat used to be a factor. I don't know how popular that is these days. But the reality is that our access to information probably far exceeds what used to be with the Library of Alexandria. But we have now a digital Library of Alexandria. But with that, there's a pros to that, and there's also the cons with this. And one of the things that I'm always has been fascinated with since the beginning has been just the impact of mythology, how we incorporate that in our daily lives, whether we know it or not. But especially when it comes with just the sheer amount of information we have out there. I mean, just imagine you can just quickly go on a browser and search for anything at these days. But what about the common factors of reading a book? How often do people talk about going to the library, checking out a book, reading Lord of the Rings? For me, going to the library was a highlight growing up. And even today, I have just bookshelves upon bookshelves of books covering a wide range of topics. But I keep going back to fantasy. I keep going back to mythology. And I especially keep going back to Lord of the Rings. Because in there, what was created was something that on one hand, it's complex, but on the other hand, it's also simple. Daily reminders of who we are as human beings, how we strive to connect, how we strive to create these bonds of friendship, family, understanding who we are, questions about good and evil. And one of the things I've always been curious about is that, yes, we have the Lord of the Rings in movie form, but when it comes to the actual literature that we have there, and when we look at it, there is a entirely new world that was created out there that helps answer sometimes those questions that we may have of who are we? Why are we here? What, what is really the point of existing in our lives? So the question I began to have was, what does the future hold for that? I mean, of course, we're talking about traveling to Mars one day or maybe beyond the Milky Way. But what about Lord of the Rings? What place does that would have for not only just for today, with future generations? Will they seek the very same things that we saw, we walk with the hobbits as well? Yeah, um, Vida, first of all, I, I would just like to say that I agree with you with what you say about myth. I strongly believe that myth talks to us about who we are and uh, not just friends and family, but also whenever I read from the Tolkien's Legendarium, I, what he writes about sea longing and this uh, Atlantis myth, it just reverberates through me living on the shores of the, the great ocean like we do here in Norway. I think it's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, he really talks to us about who we are and where we come from. And um, 
yeah, I hope I hope that stays with us for sure. It's a it's a profound work. So touching on that point, because especially speaking with Norway, so I'm I'm fascinated with Vikings mythology. It's something I I'm doing as a site research for myself. And one of the things that has always attracted me was just the richness of the stories within the mythology in itself. And also just even also looking at the, like the music, because there was just like in Lord of the Rings, there is a lot of singing that's evolved. And with songs, particularly when we look at a lot of modern day songs, I guess a semi-good example would be looking at, say, country music. On the basic foundation, yes, they're talking about broken hearts. But a lot of times, too, they're talking about trying to understand who they are. Maybe they're on a search for something. And I know one of the things that is attractive about mythology is that there's always some form of adventure involved. It's always involved. You have the hero or the heroine, but the hero who's involved in going on this quest. And essentially, I think we all in some form or way have our own mini quests in our lives. Now, maybe it may not be as glamorous and wonderful as we see in Lord of the Rings, but I think that's just the beauty of what mythology is. It tells us that there is that main quest that we have, and sometimes there are those side quests in our lives. And how does it really build into this huge story in itself? There was an article that I read. The writer Joe Krauss had made a comment regarding the reaction to the modern world from um, Tolkien, and it goes, the modern world promises great power, but it offers no framework within which to exercise it. It holds out the inspiring hope that we can build new things. It also offers the evidence that nothing lasts, that nothing is intrinsically good. Whatever success we have is ultimately a prelude to disappointment and despair. Now, I don't know so much about the disappointment and despair part, but for me, Going back to Joseph Campbell, where he writes in Power of Myth, the component of mythology is to teach someone how to live a fulfilled life. And for him, he called it a function of how to live a human lifetime under any circumstances. For me, I feel like any of us can be a hobbit in a way. Some of us are okay with living a basic life. We're happily tending our garden. We're staying within maybe 20 minutes within our homes. But then there's some of us who have that sense of adventure, that sense of call in us. And maybe it may be something as huge or, or fantastical as becoming a celebrity or whatever. But we do each have within us that quest, that calling. And it's, I think with Lord of the Rings, it tends to inspire us that we can be that. We it could be Frodo. And it may not be taking a ring to destroy, but it could be maybe we're discovering a friendship that we never really knew or even appreciated. Maybe it's discovering something about us that either we were afraid to face or maybe we didn't know we had within us. It only boils down to, are we willing to answer that call, that quest in our lives? These are all really interesting things to think about, Vita. As you're going through all of these things that you have identified with Tolkien and your reasoning why Tolkien has this draw, I kind of have kind of come back to some of these things I've talked about in past episodes, these universal truths that Tolkien story have that transcend cultures, they transcend time, they transcend uh, events. Some of the things that resonate within Tolkien subcreated world are things that are universal to everybody, loss, courage, even with, like you said, with hobbits, the home and hearth of being a hobbit, everybody, it resonates with everybody. Fruta talked about the longing for the sea, these things that... Tolkien is writing about, they're universal to the human experience, and it doesn't matter what time period you're looking at. All humans experience these things to a certain extent within their lives. Tolkien was very good at capturing those things and putting them down in a way that people can relate to. Look at 
the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, the two big stories that Tolkien wrote, they've never gone out of print for almost nearly a hundred years. They've never gone. That's remarkable for a story to never go out of print for a hundred years. Actually, if you look at different authors across, you know, you've got a handful of authors that have never gone out of print. You've got the big names are Shakespeare, they're Milton and uh, you know, a couple of others, and there's Tolkien there with them. And one of those things that they, those authors all have in common is they touch on something that everybody can experience. I agree with that, Chad. For example, with The Lord of the Rings, I feel that a central topic is our mortality, uh, simply. I think it's with us, you know, uh, throughout the book, uh, the barrow downs to the tombs in Minas Tirith to the uh, Grey Havens in the end. It really says something profound about that we have too, too few years here. <laughs> I just kind of am agreeing with you, Chad, about these themes that are universal and timeless to all people. And I just kind of think... Like Tolkien would say, it's an encouraging thought to know that these will still be there for us, whether we're living on Mars in 200 years, which is unlikely, but who knows, or whether our lives today on a daily basis, they'll always be there for us. And that, that to me is just one of my favorite things about Tolkien. What I was going to say when you're talking about how it will be in the future is the fact that when we were all kids, the world was way less technological. And now, even the people back then when I was a child who were anti-technology, I had a whole bunch of relatives in Louisiana that didn't even have a TV. And back then, they actually believed that technological advancements were bad for you. I have a bunch of relatives that thought that when I was a kid. And now everybody's on the internet streaming. So it makes you, makes you see that even the, the most rural of people are becoming more and more technologically advanced. The expensive trackers tractors have internet on them now where, the, where they can run on their own. I actually know someone with a combine that he just presses go and it does it on its own with no one in it. And so basically all that's going to continue going. And the further and further we get advanced, people will look to books like this and look back to the memories they had, or even if it's not their own memories, it's memories that they are passed on from their ancestors saying this is a time when people valued friendship and hanging out and not being on the internet all the time, even though I'm on the internet constantly. You look back and you can see how it is a desirable thing to not have it at all. Yeah, and it's just really speaks to the power of stories and the, the longevity of stories itself. And I think that's something that really was, has been captured in Lord of the Rings because if we simply just break it down on a basic level, it addresses moderation, friendship, willing sacrifice, hope, and mercy. I mean, these are timeless qualities that we can go back thousands of years in stories, and we see this constantly repeated. And there's a reason why, because it appeals to who we are as individuals. It appeals to us as groups, and it appeals to us as a sense of a letter to future generations of even when things may seem dark, there's always going to be this light. There's always there's going to be this hope. And I was watching the Lord of the Rings movies the other night. And what really was just captured me was just that sense of the unity and the friendship was there, the willingness to go through good and bad. And, it, and just and a reminder that at the end of the day, just when it seems like it could be so dark, that's usually where, when light shines the brightest. And there's when the hope comes pouring in. I'm a huge Dante fan to the point I even started my own Instagram 
account, just chronicling reading through the, the divine comedy. And I'm also part of what's called the hundred days of Dante reading program, which is a worldwide reading program. So I've had the opportunity to talk to people globally going through the same book with me. And one of the things that really just caught my attention was I'm a researcher by nature. I research literally anything and everything. And I raised the question, well, I wonder what Dante has to do with Lord of the Rings. Well, neither does say it had to do with a lot. And of course, we know he was a professor. He not only had a love for language, he was reading literature. And naturally, he would have been exposed to Dante. This was kind of a core classic that anyone would have been reading and he would be teaching. And both Dante and Lord of the Rings, one, they address the basic questions of good versus evil. I think we all have those questions at the end of the day about good and versus evil. Why is this happening? What is this about? And even more intriguing for me was just right now reading with Dante through his journey, so to speak. I feel like I'm his companion and seeing him answer those questions. And I couldn't help just with the comparison between him and Samwise and Frodo. In a sense, take away the ring, take away the name. They're both going through a journey together. They're both growing, they're both trying to make sense of the world around them. And I and I think this, again, goes back to the appeal of these stories about mythology. And I think this is why we're always going to have mythology with us. We're always, while we're moving forward, we're also going to move back too. We're going to go, how did our ancestors handle these things? And we're going to see these are basic issues that we're still grappling even to the day. Wherever we're going to be, whatever we're going to do, we're still going to be answering those basic questions. What does it mean about love? What does it mean to be a friendship? What does it mean to have to deal with good? What does it mean to have to do with evil? And what is this? What are these emotions that helps to find us as human beings? So I teach history here at one of the local high schools. And one of the things that I always like to ask my students is that how did people react to things in the past? How did societies react to things in the past? And compare that across time to how people and societies react to things and events in the present. And if I'm lucky enough, we can kind of project how people in societies are going to react to events or things in the future. There's a couple of schools of thought in terms of societies across time. There's a branch of historians who think that people in the past were different. They were just fundamentally different. Their wants, their desires, their needs were different. And that's why you see different outcomes in the past. Then there are other historians who believe that people are the same across time. People react. If you present people from the past versus people in the present versus people in the future with the same variables in the same situation, they're all going to react the same way. I subscribe to the second school of thought that it doesn't matter what time period you're looking at. All people are the same. It's all a matter of circumstance. It's all a matter of opportunity. It's all a matter of, to a certain extent, education. Tolkien believed this as well. Tolkien believed that people were very similar in the present as they were in the past. Now, Tolkien got kind of upset. One of the misnomers about Tolkien was that he hated modernity. That's not true. He didn't hate modernity. There were things about modernity that he hated. But one of the things that he hated about modernity was the sort of disappearing of the past. He would point to specific things like the disappearing of his beloved English countryside, just as sort of a real tangible thing that people could grasp onto. Tolkien's legendarium resonates with people because Tolkien knew this fact. He knew that people were the same across time. And that ain't changing in the future, y'all. People are not going to be different in the future. Their circumstances might be different. The way that their opportunities are might be different. But these answers that they are seeking are not going to be different. Since 
humans have been intelligent enough to develop communication, to develop language, to develop a civilization where they have free time to sit around and wonder about their place in the universe. People have been asking these questions. Why am I here? What's over the next hill? What's across the water? Tolkien knew this too. His legendarium answers a lot of those questions or proposes answers to a lot of those questions. Look at all of the mythologies across time. They all seek to answer those questions. Tolkien wanted to write his stories in the beginning as a mythology for England. The mythology for England sort of went away after the Book of Lost Tales, but not really. All of the ingredients, all of the components were there for the mythology for England. And it developed into sort of like this universal mythology that everybody can sort of grasp onto because humans, I think, in the secular modern age that we're living in, humans are looking for that. They're looking for something to answer those questions. A lot of humans have turned away from the traditional answers. They've turned away from the non-secular answers. And they've turned away from real historical mythological answers because science has disproven a lot of those things that myth has. And I think that even though we know that these things are not true, we know that Tolkien's cosmological rules are not true, but yet we still are interested in them because we still want, there's something about myth that fills this void for the human psyche, for the human existence. So following up on Chad High and your insight, it was actually interesting because I was reading an academic article regarding Lord of the Rings. It's called A Study on Frodo's Quest Within the Framework of Joseph Campbell's Model Myth. And in it, there was an excerpt that caught my attention. It goes, despite the praises given by the contemporary literary scholars and readers, the trilogy was harshly criticized shortly after its publication in 1954 and 55 for being unrealistic and shapeless fiction, lacking elegance in literary style and the destruction of the conventions on which the world of modern fiction was based. The reason behind these critiques was mainly the way Tolkien benefited from different tools to create his unique style, which was completely opposed to the conventions of fictions at that time. As I was reading that, I think what really had, for me, I found humorous about this was that I think sometimes the best stories are usually the stories that either we are telling around the campfire or in cases like this, it comes in unexpected ways that doesn't follow convention. And that's the whole point. It's not supposed to. I mean, when we look at Bilbo and we look at Frodo, a lot of his, their family and neighbors kind of looked at them like they were crazy. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you not just happy where you are? Do you really want to go stir that pot? Do you really want to go on this adventure? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. But when we look at history, it is the people who are willing to push the boundaries, the people who are willing to break the rules, the people that at their time they're looked at as unconventional, crazy. There's something wrong with them. They're the tend to be the people who define history. They are the people who tend to make the amazing discoveries that change and shape the course of human history itself. I think that, and that's another repellent thing about Lord of the Rings. It appeals to the rebels in us, the misfits, the people who are on the edge of the circle is the uncool kids that everyone's going to like, you can't sit at our table. Really? Do you really want to do that? That's just so weird. Well, those are usually the individuals who are willing to just take that chance to go on that crazy adventure. Everyone's going, 
no, you need to just stay home. It's a lot more safer. It's a lot much better to do. And it's those people who tend to have that great adventure who comes back as a hero all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, this is awesome. You did that. And if anything else, I think that's what Lord of the Rings can offer for future generations is that sense of hope of it's okay to be different. It's okay to push the boundary. Okay, you may be a rebel. You may be looked at a misfit, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Look at Frodo. I don't think he was expecting to have what he was going to have. I think he was thinking, I'm just going to go drop off this ring and I'm just going to go back home. But at the end, though, I think he realized that he was able to live something much, much bigger. And if anything else, because he didn't follow the rules, because he was willing to go outside his comfort zone, he discovered something so much better and bigger. I was going to say that I agree with Chad about how people aren't that... Uh, different between different time periods and cultures. And uh, I'm often surprised that some of the things in The Lord of the Rings that I find uh, are universal. Often when I read about the passages where, you know, Frodo or, or Bilbo, they when autumn comes, the, you know, the wandering lust, they want to go hiking, takes them in, in August, September, October. I go hiking a lot in the mountains and I have friends all over who do that in, in Japan or different countries. And we, we've talked about that. And it's a thing when the autumn air turns crisp and clear and cool. Um, yeah. That's when we want to go, go out walking, hiking. I was kind of thinking a couple of different things. I was thinking about you know, technology and how that's taking up that's become everyone's lives nowadays, which Tolkien probably wouldn't have been a fan of. But on the other hand, it helps connect people like us, like Vita, you were saying, the outsiders, the people who don't fit in. We get to communicate this way and form friendships this way and learn so much. And then we also start to realize we're, like Sam said, the great tales never have, it, never have an end. And we all get to realize that we are still part of those tales and that's one of the things that I think Tolkien helps helps make people feel that they're not alone. I mean, I find it thrilling to think that we're still in the same tale that Baron and Luthien were. Like, I know it's not real history, but it feels real. And that's one of my favorite things. And I'd rather spend time that than following the latest TikTok trend or... <laughs> which I don't even understand what TikTok is, but I'm just old. So that's kind of my thoughts. The positives and negatives, you know, he was, a, he was there before any of this stuff. He died when I was 100 days old, so he couldn't have seen any of this. But there are obviously bad sides of technology. But like what you just said, Jen, the positive sides of technology are the ability for all of us to meet each other. I would have never even known that any of these people like you existed. I mean, I wouldn't have met, I, I have a feeling that eventually I would have met some of y'all, but it took me a long time. I went for probably 15 to 20 years of just doing nothing but reading the books over and over, just not knowing anything else to do, no one else to talk to, anything like that. And so the fact that now it's almost inevitable just think about this. If there was someone right now that watched one of the Lord of the Rings movies, the Hobbit movies, the cartoons, anything, and they just said to themselves, I want to know this better. It is absolutely inevitable that they are going to find one of us. It's going to happen. They're going to find one of someone like us. It's, it's a certainty because no matter where they go, 
someone will lead them to someone like Alan, Sean, Corey, me, the Tolkien Society, Sean Gunner, Chad, you know, Jeremy Edmonds, any, there's any question you have now, it's impossible to not run into people who know a whole lot about it because you ask enough and you will be led the direction of the person who knows it best. And that wasn't possible even only 20 years ago. It was really hard to do that. And so like we're all recording this episode just on Zoom and it's going to be online for everyone to hear all over the place. So there's a lot of good to technology, but still we're all reading about a time period where gunpowder was only slightly known about, much less electricity. I read The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion for my for two of my daughters, and they have different interests than I do, and you know they're very different people. But for both of them, Tolkien was a way into books. They've been reading ever since I read those books to them. They're reading uh, a new book every week. I'm just so happy to see that. I'm quite optimistic about the future of, of books and the future of Tolkien as well. I don't see this disappearing or becoming unfashionable or, yeah. So uh, Joseph Campbell, he has a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And in it, there's a quote that goes, it will be always the one shape-shifting yet marvelous constant story that we find together with a challenging, persistent suggestion of more remaining to be experienced than will ever be known or told. And I'm convinced that he had to pick this up from Sam Wise from The Two Towers because Sam himself goes, those were the stories that stayed with you. That meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. And of course, later on, he has another quote that goes, I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something. And that's the power of Lord of the Rings. It's the story of persistence. And it's a continual story that, in a way, there's no true end to it. It's a story that is going to continue on for generations onward. And there's, within that sense, the sense of hope for the future generations that lays in the power of continuing reading Lord of the Rings, sharing it, and hopefully for it to never be put on the sideline, but hopefully just constantly in the forefront of of the human imagination and the human spirit. This is a great discussion, y'all. I'm really enjoying listening to everybody's thoughts on this. I have to agree with Fruita. I think that Tolkien's going to be fine. I, I really do. I think that just look at because I'm an academic, I think about how Tolkien has been viewed in academic history. Think about how angry Tom Shippey is when he talks about how Tolkien is viewed in academic circles. But that's changing, right? People are writing their PhD dissertations on Tolkien. 25 years ago, that was unheard of. And now Tolkien is becoming acceptable academic literature. I convinced my English department to teach segments of The Lord of the Rings. They're not reading the whole book yet. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I've gotten them to sort of teach certain chapters and teach certain themes. I think they just want me me to stop bothering them. But I really do think Tolkien's going to be fine in the future. I think Tolkien is going to be right up there with Shakespeare in terms of how he is viewed and how his work is viewed. I think if you were to wake up 500 years in the future, I think Tolkien will still be relevant. I think he'll be taught in schools. People will still be doing their PhD dissertations on him. There's just so many different avenues for Tolkien. There's so many different ways to apply Tolkien, not only to academic literature, but in comparative literature 
and even for non-academics, there's so many ways to apply Tolkien to your everyday life. So I think Tolkien is going to be fine. In terms of technology changing the way that we consume Tolkien, just look at the fervor around the newest audiobook that came out where that, you know, Andy Serkis read The Hobbit last year, 2020. He read The Lord of the Rings this year, 2021. The reception to that has been, it's been all positive. I haven't, I haven't seen anybody say anything negative about the new audiobooks that came out. I think that you're going, you're going to see lots and lots more audiobooks come out. You're going to see, but you're also going to continue to see print books come out. The Illustrated Lord of the Rings that came out this year, that sold out very, very, very quickly. So I think that the future of Tolkien, it's going to be there. It's going to be vibrant. People are going to consume Tolkien in a variety of ways, whether it's in print or whether it's electronic. I think that it's going to become more and more of a commodity that, that people consume. I really do, because of the different ways that you can consume media now. It seems like I had heard last spring when the after the pandemic started and we were all kind of stuck in place for a good long time. I heard that sales of Tolkien's books actually went up, like The Hobbit was back on the bestseller list or The Lord of the Rings was or both. But I, it seems like the worse things get out in the world, the more Tolkien <laughs> helps, the more popular he is. Um, I mean, it's comfort reading for those of us who are familiar with it. And like Chad said, I don't think that appetite is going to go away anytime soon. And what's really great, too, is how the perception with Lord of the Rings is changing. I mentioned to some friends that I was going to be discussing about Lord of the Rings. And they started joking, like, that's the ultimate nerd discussion that you can have anywhere. I'm thinking, you know, I'm pretty sure I can rival what could be considered an ultimate nerd discussion. But it does show that when it comes to this, it's, it's becoming more and more part of the norm of our lives. And that's a, actually a great thing. I mean, this year was the 700 year anniversary of Dante. And we have people globally reading Dante of, of all things. And it's one of those things that when people see me with a copy of that, they're going like, oh, you're reading Dante Inferno. I've never read that. But then I see them buy a copy themselves now, and now they're reading it, and we're discussing about it. So if this can happen after 700 years of a book that you would think is regulated to maybe a passage in high school and a semester in college, but now you have everyday people reading, I mean, there's lots of help with Lord of the Rings. And especially as it becomes more mainstream in a way when people discover it. And But I think then again, going back to mythology, that's the beauty of you can tell the longevity of something, how it becomes an integral part of society. I mean, you have people dropping quotes from Lord of the Rings, whether they watch the movie or not, or if they read the book, movie or not, it becomes a part of their daily conversation. My precious. I mean, I hear that being described for anything other than a ring. And so that's becoming a norm of society for to correlate with something that is so valuable to you that you're going to have to fight me to get this. I have a coworker who's never seen or read any of it, and she knows what my precious is. And, and you can say potatoes to someone that it's like it's gotten to everyone's second hand. Everyone knows the little potatoes thing from the movie. I highly don't recommend doing that in a restaurant, though. The waiters and waitresses don't find that funny. They're like, okay, seriously, what do you want with your order? <laughs> My students, when they find out that I'm into Tolkien, which they inevitably do, it doesn't really take that long. They do the potatoes thing. They do precious. They, the biggest thing is you shall not pass. They like to act it out, even though it's not right. I, and I, I'm quick to point out that it, that's not correct, but they don't, they don't care if they have fun. 99% of my students coming to me at the beginning of the school year have not read Tolkien. You don't mind, I asked Chad hi about that. So you're mentioning that you have students come in that haven't read it. So 
when they are reading or they have read it, what are their reactions afterwards? One of the things that I don't really have a whole lot of time to talk to my students about is Tolkien because we have so many other things that we have to do. But every once in a while, you will be able to connect with a student and you you will be able to recommend reading to them. And I, of course, I always recommend Tolkien. I have had students in the past that have read The Hobbit and the reception is always positive. And I've had an even larger number of students that have read The Lord of the Rings the reaction that I that students give to me when they have read Lord of the Rings, even before they have finished, is that they feel like there's something there that they're identifying with, but a lot of times the students don't understand all the nuances of that. And so every student that I've ever had that's read Lord of the Rings connects with it in some way. They find something in the story to connect with. Most of the time, what ends up happening is that I will recommend a reading of either The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, and they don't read it, they go and watch the films. That's what they end up doing. That's that's like most of the time, that's what happens. We're talking about Dante in literature studies. You know, we learn about how Dante and Ibsen, for that matter, how they influence other writers. Tolkien has been an influence for a lot of writers as well. Um, who do you think we will be talking about? Like, who do you think we'll be talking about in the future, Frida? Or, or who do you think other writers that have been influenced by Tolkien. Yeah, I, I like I I like this I like Tad Williams. I like his books and he's clearly okay. been influenced by uh, by Tolkien. Same with George R. R. Martin. Look at something that's really popular right now because of the movie that just came out, Frank Herbert, uh, the the Dune series, heavily heavily influenced by Tolkien. Another one that comes to mind is J.K. Rowling, heavy influenced by Tolkien. So, I'm literally a nerd geek. So, we, once you mentioned Dune, I was silently screaming with joy at that and for bringing that up because I've noticed an uptick in discussion regarding Dune, particularly people who have never read the book at all, but because of the movie, now they're going like, well, what do I need to read regarding that? And that's been kind of a, a basis of discussion at home because I've read it, my husband have read it. So we're, we're both, while we're watching the movie, we're trying really hard not to be picky about it, but we're comparing the movie to the book. But you know, I think that's a really great question regarding you know who we'll be talking about later on, like we are talking about Lord of the Rings or Dante. And for me, the the nerd in me was thinking, I'm hoping it will be Dune just because of the rich symbolism within his book. Like Tolkien, I think he spent a lot of time trying to create this whole new world, this whole new sense of mythology. There, are, I mean, I see the discussion where they're trying to compare with. I've seen Lord of the Rings popped up every so often, but so I, I see the people digging into it, trying to really understand what Frank Herbert was trying to convey through his books, um, finding, trying to find meaning in the sandworms and the religion that, that was created within it, the language. And I think to look at the world of, say, Star Trek, you know, it was a television series, but it has spawned its own language. I mean, you have people who speak Klingon. Just like today, we have people speaking the Elvish language it's to the point that it slowly has integrated and become an accepted part of our society. You have that. It's no big deal if you hear someone speaking Elvish. Klingon, on the other hand, I think it's a little bit of a rougher language, so that definitely would catch people's notices. But it would definitely be interesting to see 400, 500, maybe 700 years down the road. Are we going to see that same resurgence of Lord of the Rings with Dune, with um, maybe Game of Thrones? I haven't read the books or I haven't seen the movies, but I've had people said to read it. And I have this huge stack at home. I need to read other books. Um, another series, The Witcher series, became a, you know, translated into uh, video games and now into 
to a TV series. And but that's starting to has a small following. I think I've not really followed the people who like that particular book. But again, it just shows that it's the power of a really good story. And I think the really good stories are the ones that it's going to pop up in a high school literature class 20, 30 years down the road, and then eventually become a college class. And who knows a dissertation paper down the road. For our listeners out there, one of the resources that I know of that you may find useful in answering through this question is the Tolkien scholar Luke Shelton made a he made a he compiled a list of contemporary fantasy authors that have been influenced by Tolkien that sort of he approves of. And I've, I've looked at the list and they're all very good. You can, you can find those on his, uh, you can find those on his Facebook page, Luke Shelton's Facebook page. I think you can also find them on, on his website. So this has been a fantastic discussion. I hope everyone who's listening has really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for having me on. This has been a, a wonderful experience. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas Tolkien Talk podcast. Our goal is to create a podcast where the voices of Tolkien fans worldwide can be heard, and that means we want to hear from you, and so do all of our listeners. If you want to get on the podcast, you can go to our website at texastolkien.com. Click on the link that says Getting on the Podcast and fill out the simple form with your name, contact info, and topic that you would like to discuss. And I promise we'll make room for you. You can also interact with us on our Facebook page at Texas Tolkien Talk Podcast where you can see the latest announcements and happenings. If you want to get in touch, you can drop us a line at texastolkientalk at gmail.com. All your thoughts and questions are welcome. Until next time, folks. Namadiate.